Paul Burns of the Sydney Morning Herald calls this movie a rollicking, colorful comic strip of a movie with bells on. Kim Newman of Empire Magazine says it's easy to appreciate the movie's color and vigor, even if it's difficult to know exactly what the heck is going on. And Letterboxd user NPL Film calls it a beautiful hot mess. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Big Trouble in Little China. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Time to hop on the old Pork Chop Express. It's Ruined Childhoods. Yeah. Welcome to the show, uh, everybody who I'm sure is uh, hopping on to hear us talk about Big Trouble in Little China, something that we've been uh, th- wanting to do since we started this show 135 episodes yeah. ago. And uh, I, I feel the need now, since uh, you kind of like made fun of me for pointing out that last episode was 134, that I need to call out uh, the episode number every single time yeah, now. Yeah. But yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of amazing that it's taken us this long to get to this one, because this is like a true cult classic. But you know, and little little peek behind the curtain here. So, um, you know, if, if you're if you're a listener, if you if you're familiar with us, first of all, thank you and uh, welcome back. And if you're not um, a listener, then you will. And but you hopefully will stick around. You, you are, are one. Welcome. You're a starfighter. You've been recruited uh, and <laughs> by the Star League. Uh, you are. OK. Uh, so you'll know that, like, you know, we try to pick movies where we can at least where we can have some type of discussion about a a, a new life for the property. And. Uh, but you know we cover a a wide range of of films. We've we've covered political satire from the 1930s, and we've done Transylvania yeah. Six Five Thousand. So uh, you right. know we run the gamut, and you know we don't really limit ourselves by any uh, type of boundaries, really, in terms of what we pick. But some weeks uh, are, you know, are better, better fit some movies than others. And uh, I I kind of Big Trouble in Little China is one of those movies that uh, I can watch almost any time I want to put on a movie. It's one of those where it's if I'm just like looking for something, I'm just kind of looking for something mindless, something I've seen before. So I can just kind of kick back and enjoy it. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China is is kind of a fail safe for me. So. I will say though, I wouldn't call this movie mindless. No, because it is dense. Right, it's it's it, like if you've seen it a bunch of times, then it's it's an easy one to put on, and you just peek back every now and then, and you just be like, ah, yes. Well, that's it's also it's and it's like yeah, you, you can hear it, and even though like visually, it's awesome. Oh yeah. It is a lot of fun. I mean, even all these years later, just to hear the 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 like the real like that snappy dialogue, and hear the the music, right. and just kind of exp- have it on and experience it. It's one of those movies that I can do that. So it was kind of a good one for us to keep, uh, 
you know, to kind of <laughs> keep in our back pockets. And, uh, you know, recently I've just been super busy. It's September, back to school. Shout out to teachers. Dan is yeah. a teacher. Uh, and uh, it, it was, I was like, I need something. I need something easy. I need, I need comfortable. something comfortable. You need a, you need a, a, a nice hot bowl of soup. Yeah. And this, that's what this movie is. It's, you know, it's comforting. It's familiar. You know, it, it's exactly what the doctor ordered. Uh, but before we oh. get to Big Trouble in Little China, I've got a couple things that I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about uh, with our, our last couple of episodes. As do I. Okay, great. So uh, our last two movies were Being There and Grease. And I wanted to comment on one th- common tie that the two of them have that I think is important to note. And it makes me wonder if it's an element that has made them as memorable as they are today. And that is the fact that they both end with very like highly debated and overanalyzed endings, you know, being there. Um, Spoiler alert. Peter Sellers' character walks on water, which is a way out of left field thing that you don't see coming the entire time. And then in Greece, they fly away into the sky in a car that you've only ever seen in a dream sequence. So it's, you know, I feel like when people talk about that aspect of Greece as a, a form to analyze, like, what if maybe they're actually dead or, you know, he, uh, uh, in summer loving, when they talk about how she nearly drowned oh. and he saved him, what if he actually didn't save her and she died? They, and they then this both is them going or to something. Yeah. Something like that. And it's like, this is them going to heaven. So like there are these debates, even if they are made somewhat in jest, especially in for Greece, but it's like, is that an aspect that's made them as, memorable and talked about as they are today. And I think that it's really interesting that we had two episodes in a row that have endings like that. And that that. came out in consecutive years. That's true. Maybe that was, uh, yeah, a trend that we haven't really explored in that time period, ending it with something that keeps you Well, let's throw in Superman the movie that came out um, in that same span where it, he flies and there is flying and there's debated there's meaning flying. and Jesus metaphors. So totally right. Superman being there. Hello. Um, totally connected. Actually. So you brought, and I'm just going to throw this in there for fun. It, it, it's a, just a bit of a non sequitur, but one of my favorite conspiracy theories and uh, it's about a movie I'm so familiar with that when I heard the conspiracy theory and thought about it, I was like, holy shit, that makes sense. Is that throughout the Big Lebowski, Donnie uh-huh. is dead the whole time. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. I See, the thing is, I when when things come out like that, I don't necessarily buy them because, OK, if we're talking about the Big Lebowski only and that theory that Donnie is dead the entire time it doesn't really make sense to me because okay when he actually 
Spoiler alert. Does die and they spread his ashes and go to the, you know, funeral home and everything. It's like, what? That is just happened to be taking place actually at that point. Well, I mean, I mean, no, it's basically that they've had his ashes, but are coming to terms with his with his death. Because we, it's not like we see. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's no funeral really, right? There's no, I, there's no, you know. So, yeah, and Walt Walter is the only one that really interacts with him. No, because dude, Jeff uh, does too. Dude, dude and does. Walter, but but nobody else does. Like he yeah. is when he smashes the car up, and then the guy in the Larry Sellers neighbor comes out and smashes up dude's car. Donnie like just jumps out of the car. Right. He's just like kind of on the lawn jumping jumping back. When they fight the 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 nihilists uh uh, uh you know what here's yeah. my right. My take on it is that it's a really fun way for fans of a movie like that to in- further oh, engage. Absolutely. But I do not think that there's any intentional I don't I don't see the know, point. I don't like that backstory. that's the thing is like the Cohen right. I don't I don't I mean then again I don't as I was about to say I don't see the Cohen brothers just randomly throwing in something like that. But then I thought about it and I was like, eh, actually I could. <laughs> um yeah. I have a quick one more thing for Greece and this is actually yeah, yeah. um in regards to Greece 2000 which uh oh my idea for Greece uh, 2000 Greece's and, return uh so I mentioned my friend Ray Dijon who uh had joined us for back to the yeah. beach and uh toured in the you know uh the professional like touring company of Greece uh around at least yeah. nationally um and said that that tour which happened in the year 2000 was known as uh-huh. Greece 2000. Oh, that's yes. so funny. So, wanted to mention that. Shout out to Ray. Well, I still prefer the title Greece 2. Oh, two. Right. yeah, Greece 2. Greece 2. <laughs> I'm Gre- I'm team Greece 3K all the way. Like Greece in space. <laughs> all for it. Yeah. Well, that's where they're heading at the that end. That and one. and so yeah, uh, or the Quentin Tarantino's Greece. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, okay. Big Trouble in Little China. I want to also mention before we start talking about it that it, I found it very interesting to watch this movie after seeing Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. And it was really interesting because I, after seeing that and knowing how it is regarded really well amongst Asian and Asian American viewers as, you know, having strong representation in a mainstream American movie. And uh, like a blockbuster movie. And uh, I kind of was nervous to watch Big Trouble in Little China because in my memory, it's a very cartoonish portrayal of, you know, people of Asian descent. And I haven't, I, I intended to do some more reading. I unfortunately didn't have the time to do it, but I was really curious to see what the response was from uh, Asian and Asian American communities about this movie. And uh, I was impressed when I revisited to to kind of see and read a little bit more about how 
you know, there is a very large Asian cast. Uh, we don't have people who are white posing as Asian the way that we did in, well, Flash Gordon, I mean, uh, Ming the Merciless. I don't think that space has an Asia, but it was, you know, it, it's supposed yeah, to be. There's definitely like the that. implication. And it, yeah, it's very, it, there's a lot of stereotypes yeah. being called out there. Yeah. And I think that for me, the villain in this movie, Lo Pan, I feel like in my mind, I connected him so much with Ming the Merciless that I forgot that, you know, it is an Asian American actor playing this role. Um, I mean, of course, somebody who's been in pretty much every movie <laughs> ever made, yeah. probably. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, James Hong is incredible in this and, and so many other things. So, uh, yeah, I was I was pleased. And one of the other things that I read, and I think that this is something that came from John Carpenter. I think it was in one of the commentaries, which I wish that I could have uh, watched this movie with commentary, mm. but said that, you know, Jack Burton, Kurt Russell's character, you know, it's kind of flipped where you think that it's the white guy's the hero and he has the Asian sidekick, but the Asian friend, Wang, He's the one who's kicking ass the entire time, whereas Jack Burton's a big buffoon and is just constantly, uh, you know, oh, making mistakes. He's and, unconscious, and falling. He's unconscious for an entire yeah. like fight scene. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's you know, seeing it from that perspective has made me appreciate it because I was really nervous to go back and watch this one, and I, I was really pleased to see, I uh, you know, in nineteen eighty six. That these things, you know, these stereotypes are kind of being turned inside. Of course, this movie does deal with Chinese mysticism, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's being done in a completely disrespectful well, way. And, and to speak to that, looking at an article from uh, July 11th, 1986, so just after its release uh, in the Los Angeles Times, and it's basically making the point that most... Chinese for affirmative action groups and other Asian communities were like, it encourages anti-Asian prejudices. It plays on a lot of stereotypes. Right. It's got like a white, it's very much the white man's interpretation of, of not, not even China, but like Chinatown. Now, apparently like the studio yeah. tried to get a lot of these organizations on board, but couldn't, but really couldn't. Um, so like the Association of Asian Pacific American Artists, uh, which is an actor's organization, uh, hmm. said that they were invited by 20th Century Fox to be one of the beneficiaries of the film, but the group wouldn't endorse it because they hadn't seen it. Huh. Okay. So you have some people like, so some, one of the actors in the film, Peter Kwong, who plays Rain in, in the film, uh, yes. he says the movie can't be taken seriously. It's tongue in cheek. And cause there was another movie the year before year of the dragon where like they really came down on, I'm not familiar with it, but like came to, I think it was, I think there was like yellow face acting going on. So uh, right. you know, white people playing American or playing Asians. So there's already some defensiveness, but that's one of the, that's one of the people in the movie. But there were other people who said that like, they didn't have a, a problem with it. Uh, but most like Asian American group, yeah. like advocacy groups, 
where like even if Kurt Russell's character is a sidekick, he still comes off as the hero, and he's established as the hero. He's on the. He's on the poster, oh, yeah. right Which front and center. He's not, he's, he, you know. Kurt Russell's not a fan of the poster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, like, he's established in the beginning, the first uh, scene with Egg Chen talking to the to the police, and he says, like, right. you know, Jack Burton has, like, saved the world. I don't have the exact quote, but... Yeah, like, that we first scene a, was a little whack. We owe a great debt of gratitude. Well, I'm pretty sure it was tacked on. Uh, I, that's what I read too. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was supposed to start with him just in his truck, the Pork Chop Express, right? Uh, talking, you know, on the on the CB radio. But yeah, they which still on then this. establishes him as the protagonist. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's like it makes me wonder. I'm like, never mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna me- I'll mention this later. Save yeah. Later. Well, why don't we do a little synopsis and uh, then we can get into it a little bit further. How does that sound? Sounds good. And I've got a little. Uh, I know we haven't talked box office in a while, but for this one, it's such oh, a yeah. it's it's such a like highly regarded cult classic that I thought it would be interesting. So I've got a little bit of that. But first, synopsis, please. <laughs> After long-haul trucker Jack Burton makes a delivery in San Francisco's Chinatown, he engages in a night of pie-gow gambling with some of his local buds. When he wins a double-or-nothing bet against his pal Wang Chi, they have to go to Wang's restaurant to get the rest of the money. But first, they stop at the airport to pick up Wang's fiance Mao Yin. While there, a group of Chinatown thugs called the Lords of Death attempts to kidnap another woman whose friend, Gracie Law, is there to pick her up. When Jack intervenes, they take Mao Yin instead, bringing her to a brothel where she will be sold off. Jack and Wang Chi head back to Chinatown in an effort to track down the Lords of Death, but are stuck in an alley where one gang, the Shang Tsing, are having a funeral procession. They are quickly met by their adversaries, the Wing Kong. Jack and Wang decide to lay low and let the two gangs have it out, but when a small crew of mystic warriors enters the scene, Jack forges ahead until he knocks over the magical gang's leader, who we learn is Lo Pan, an ancient sorcerer who stands seven feet tall and glows with magic. After Jack and Wang get away, Jack's truck ends up stolen. They regroup at Wang's restaurant with Wang's pal Eddie Lee and a local tour guide and master of Chinese mysticism named Egg Shen. They are also met by Gracie Law and her reporter friend Margo. Why they show up, I forget. Egg explains the background of Lopan, who needs to marry and sacrifice a green-eyed woman in order to break his curse and become human again. Wang points out that Mao Yin has green eyes. Jack, fixated on getting his truck back, agrees to do what he has to do to help out. Which brings him to the brothel, where they believe Mao Yin is being held captive. He poses as a dorky businessman looking for a good time. But when he mentions wanting a girl with green eyes, the house's madam becomes suspicious. But this all doesn't really matter, because Lopan's three mystic warriors get to her first. Jack and Wang plan to find her by getting into a building allegedly operated by Lopan, but get caught by Lopan's warriors and taken to him, who appears old and feeble. Using their wiles, they break free, but having waited for Jack and Wang for a long time, the rest of the crew heads inside. The gang travels through the hidden passageways throughout the building and eventually finds their way out, but when Gracie notices something strange behind one of the decorative suits of armor, a giant monster pops out and captures her. The rest of the gang safely gets into Egg's tour bus when Jack notices that Gracie is gone. They regroup at Egg's office where he has ancient potions. He prepares a concoction for everyone that makes them fearless as they go through his basement underground to Lopan's lair. Meanwhile, Lopan notices that Gracie also has green eyes, 
so he plans to marry them both and only sacrifice Gracie so he can have Mao Yin all to himself as his wife. The gang makes it to Lopan's ceremony room just before he ties the knot with the two emerald-eyed ladies, but they have to wait and try to kill him until after he weds one of them. That way, his body is mortal again and weapons will impact him. And that's exactly what they do. Our heroes fight the bad guys and kick their butts one after the other, especially Wang, who seems to never get tired of jumping in the air to fight. Lopan finishes marrying Mao Yin and rushes off with her. Jack finds his way to Lopan and kills him with a swift knife throw to the head. Lopan and his crew are finished and our team escapes, finding Jack's truck on the way out. Despite having had a romantic spark with Gracie, Jack heads off on his own in his truck to the open road. So, Dan, I'm wondering if you've caught the fly that you've been trying to kill this entire time. There, I, I got one. There's, there's two more. I think I had like the window <laughs> in my office open all day. Oh my God. So. Our dear listeners, Dan, I can see is just going insane right now. Like he's gone completely bananas trying to get these flies. Not completely. I'm, I'm still here. So like, don't think I didn't think about while you were, I'm, I was like, this is going to be a long synopsis and definitely thought about like taking off the, the headphones here and, and chasing those two suckers down. But you know what? I'm just like, let them come to me. That's all right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Come and so, get it, you Yeah. I mean, bitch. what's, what's so much fun about this movie is that it, Plays like a Western uh, <laughs> to the point that there's even moments where you see somebody kind of with a gun and a holster on their hip kind of yeah. wiggling their fingers around. And well, Jack wears these big boots. He's also doing music. John Wayne. <laughs> he's doing a John Wayne voice the whole time, which is fun. <laughs> this is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. I was originally planning on doing the entire synopsis as Jack Burton in the John Wayne voice. And I wrote one sentence and I was like, I'm not doing this. (laughs) You know, A for effort. The the idea (laughs) Great idea, but no, I yeah. Oh my goodness, I would have gotten so tired of that. It would have yeah, been. And then a half also, hour. John Carpenter, who um, also scored the movie, you know, does a really fun job doing like a synthy score with kind of like Western notes to it, like little themes to it. Oh yeah, the score is the score is fantastic. I mean, I think John Carpenter scores most, if not all, of his movies. He didn't write this one. Though, which I think I just always assumed he had Correct. written it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know. It was written by like two Jewish guys. It was Gary. <sighs> At least they have very Jewish Listen, sounding just because names. their names are Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein does not necessarily mean they're Jewish. So, um, and that they're screenwriters. Um, and that they're screenwriters. <laughs> probably had this idea out for Chinese food on Christmas Eve. But- uh, well, Talking briefly about the idea of this, I want to know if you thought the same thing that I thought and that, you know, this is 1986 and this is kind of a pre-John McClane reluctant wrong place at the wrong time hero. And uh, who wears a tank top? Who wears a tank top throughout? That's right. A white tank top throughout. Uh, Yeah. I mean, 
and, and to and to bring back uh, the uh, the Big Lebowski, all the dude ever wanted was his truck back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all Jack Burton ever was. Sorry, it sounded like William Devane. Yeah. <laughs> Buy my I can't gold. help it. I just. It's David Lopan. <laughs> oh man! So oh, yeah, Devane. this is uh, a a wild movie. There's a lot of really, you know, fun visual effects and interesting puppetry. That um, what year was the thing? Was that like eighty eighty two? Yeah. So I feel like it must have been after the thing. John Carpenter was like, I gotta get. I got to get wild with these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I dipped my toes. Yeah. Now I'm diving in. Well, Uh, the thing is diving in. You kidding me? Well, yeah, but no, but the thing, the thing relies a lot. Like the thing isn't like just a lot of just different crazy creatures. Well, I guess there's not a lot of crazy creatures in this. Well, there's the Um, flying eyeball thing, which is like low pans. Oh, yeah. Krang. Yeah, Krang. (laughs) Uh, and then there's the monster, the like hairy monster guy. And I feel like there's one oh, other like beast man. Yeah. Beast. Man. There was the ogre that that like that kidnaps um, Gracie Law, who is a lawyer. Gracie Law, who is a lawyer. That's what I thought. So wait, and- why does she show up at Wang's? OK. Yeah. OK. So because she OK, so the, meeting- we only ever saw her at the airport. And then they disappear. They don't right. exchange information or anything. Well, but they know who she is because she's a lawyer who is she I think she's an immigration lawyer who oh. is like and she's there to oh cuz what's the name oh, what's the name of of the woman who she's there to pick up? Um, I can't remember. Like she's basically there to make sure that um like this woman with I guess also with green eyes. Uh, no, she didn't um, have. I don't think that she had green oh, eyes. I think that the that no, gang right, was there to right. kidnap her because she was come like an immigrant and you know, or maybe an undocumented immigrant. Right. And so yeah, she'd be so, easy but, to uh, traffic. I, uh, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um. So. Um. It's driving me crazy that I can't think of her name because it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, really? I don't even but, remember if they said it. I think it was written down yeah, on they, a Polaroid. They did. They, <laughs> no, they they definitely did. She uh, like she calls it out at the oh, at the airport. I, it's a very American name. Oh. Um. Is, anyway, I'm I'm not going to obsess over that. I've got too much going on here with these flies. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um. So big trouble in little China. Uh, the dialogue in it is just so snapping. The elevator, so the elevator scene after they take the potion. Oh, okay. When Kurt Russell's, they're just like in the elevator. Yeah, like, I feel Russell's good. Like I'm feeling, I'm feeling yeah. pretty good. Like yeah, and and Wang is kind of like yeah, no, me too. Yeah, I also. No. You know, speaking of uh, the elevator and things like that, I'm wondering if you also picked up on uh, the fact that, you know, Egg's office is the fire department that was used for Ghostbusters. And in Ghostbusters, there's the iconic line, like, where do these stairs go? They go up. And in this movie, Mm -hmm. they're asking, where does this elevator go? It goes down. 
And uh, I don't know if that's in any way a nod or just coincidence, but hey, those are things. Um, Also, it's just like, (laughs) hey, there's the fire pole that Ray loves to go down in Ghostbusters. (laughs) And, you know, they're going down the fire pole. And also, I mean, if we're going to make other connections, I I definitely was thinking that because Lopan kind of has these transformations uh, through from like his spirit form to his his physical right. form, and it made me think of Bram Stoker's oh, Dracula, especially when he's yeah. like the decrepit old David Lopan in the wheelchair. I love Bram um, Stoker's Dracula. Oh uh, yes, as do I. Um, it it also the exposition. There's so much exposition. Gracie Law gives a lot of it. Uh, it is done so. Oh, Tara, Tara, that's who it is. Tara, I knew it was in my notes somewhere. I love the exposition in this. There's uh, just magnificent exposition with uh, like Eddie and Gracie Law, who are just there. Like, yeah. and it's just like it's just like four minutes straight of exposition. It's like, oh, you mean David Lopan, the the uh the director of the International Chinese American Bank yeah. or, or whatever the line is. Well, also it's funny that he, the name is is just David in front of Lopan where it's right. just like, what's a normal person's name? Ew, David. Yeah, ew, David. <laughs> so, uh, uh seri- seriously. Uh, well, what's also funny, you know, if thinking back to our Under Siege episode, you know, we talked about how um, you know, Steven Seagal basically had Eric Alaniac there as a person to explain things to, you know, the person to bring right. along so that he can explain what's going on to the audience. But instead of talking to the camera, you can talk to somebody who doesn't know what's going on. And that to me was a lot like this movie where there were a lot of there were people who knew about different things that were going on and then clueless people that they could explain it to. Well, Jack. <laughs> Well, Jack, but also there primarily, were primarily, prim- Jack. primarily Jack, primarily Jack. But there were also some other people that, you know, needed some explanation. And uh, and and the well, journalist, Margot, you know, it's like telling yeah. the reporter all of the things for her to get into her story is a perfect way to get out a ton of uh, exposition. Yeah, but there's something about the way it's done. And it's just so obvious that I I. I I really appreciate it. And I like Gracie Law's entrance and Kim Cattrall. So Kim Cattrall's performance, I'm like, sometimes she, she, she pushes it a little, it's a little uh-huh. much, but I'm like mostly really kind of like entertained by the, by the energy she's got. Yeah. She's got kind of like that, like that, his girl Friday thing. It's, um, it's got like a, a 30s screwball romantic comedy vibe to it. Yeah. Which Kurt Russell also does really well. Right. And it definitely had a bit of like a Casablanca ending with just like, you know, him leaving and, you know, I don't know. It definitely has that vibe to it. it, And it made me like it. It definitely made me think about just the idea that Jack is the sidekick and I'm and I, I, I guess this is kind of bleeding into the whole like what else could be done though this isn't necessarily like my 
my idea, okay. or not my first idea at least. But it, it made me wonder, like, okay, so Jack Burton is the sidekick in this story, but is he the hero in another story? Like, uh-huh. is is this movie imagining, like, okay, well, what happens when the hero goes to visit, like, his like-minded friends who are also likely to have adventures, and he just kind of like, oh, I'm in town while this action hero friend of mine is in this adventure, so I'm going to well, help him out. So here's something that we... here there's There's a few things that we know about Jack. He doesn't seem to know fully how to use a gun. He when he first tries to shoot the gun, the safety's on. I, <laughs> uh, you know, he and then he can't turn it off even he after can't he finds turn it, it off. It's on. And then I, uh, but what we do know is that he is very skilled at throwing knives. So and he keeps a knife in his boot. He keeps a knife in his boot, and he's got a you know, he he's got a good shot when it comes to flinging that thing around. And he's got great reflexes. We learned that too. Right, right. <laughs> so it just made me wonder, like, Jack's kind of out of his element here. In, I mean, we get the sense that he's familiar with Chinatown because he's friendly with Wang. Yeah. And he, you know, jumps right into the, to all, like, you know, the gambling and everything. But it makes me wonder, like, because once we get into the mystical part of it, he's out of his element. And he, back to Big Lebowski, I yeah. guess. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> um. And so it's kind of like, I'm like, let's like, what if this was John McClane? Like, what if this was just like, like John McClane, if John McClane was a trucker or if John McClane was just like kind of driving through town and stopped to see his friend and then ends up in some adventure where he's kind of like. You know, I get out of his element. And well, I mean, it throws him off his throws him off his game a bit. The, Although I guess J- he, John McClane is kind of out of his element in most of these. Well, also in Die Hard, the in the fifth one, that's the one where he goes to Chernobyl. <laughs> but that's the thing is, we, like, he's just trying to like find. We it. don't acknowledge a good day to yeah, die. Yeah, but hard. he just like is going to find his son, and then all of a sudden he gets involved with all this stuff. Like, I I don't want to get into a whole Die Hard thing right now. We don't have the time. So, (laughs) yeah. So I I don't know. There was, there were some things that I worked for me and there were some things that didn't. I mean, the fact that he, the only personal interest that he has in this whole adventure is getting his truck back. And if, you know, you can't even say that Gracie was an aspect because even though they have a a little pseudo tryst, uh, he bails before it can like become anything at all. So it's like clearly he doesn't care about that. Did they enough. even get past no. first base? So uh, no. well, we don't know what happened in that sewer. You know, everyone was very close to each other. They did not get past. First base. <laughs> I didn't see hands. There might maybe maybe a minor underwater grind. <laughs> so anyway, um, it, but the thing is, like, it's it is a just ridiculous movie. Uh, very influential movie. Uh, it's been said that you know this has inspired Mortal Kombat. It's inspired. Oh yeah. Uh, you know Taika Waititi was inspired f- by this movie for Thor Ragnarok, and uh, I don't know. It's just had like a huge cultural boom because of its home video release. Because like you said, it it tanked yeah. in the box office. Oh. So yeah, um, it opened at number twelve. Okay. It 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 opened twelfth at the box office that weekend, 
uh, it, which was um, July. It was like July 4th weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I had read was that Fox put all of its marketing behind Aliens, which was coming out like the right. week after, yeah, two yeah, weeks yeah. after. So it was just like hyping the shit out of Aliens. And then Big Trouble in Little China opens, but is also got... St- pretty stiff competition at the box office. It also opened against, um, oh, it was Karate Kid Part 2 was number one that opening weekend, mm-hmm. but it was also number one for, for the second weekend in a row. The other the other movies rounding out the top five were like Ruthless People, okay. Back to School, Top Gun, and Legal Eagles. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But you also had Ferris Bueller's Day Off on that list. And yeah, Big Trouble in Little... It opened behind Psycho 3, <laughs> Great Mouse Detective, About Last Night, Princes Under the Cherry Moon. It was not no. successful. Yeah, and it's so I know that they also kind of rushed it a little bit so that it would be released before The Golden Child. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. there were some similarities just in the, the themes that were brought up, you know... Uh, Asian mysticism and uh, maybe that had something to you know maybe if it wasn't in that like sweet you know summer area it would have done a little bit better hard to say Uh, I mean clearly it's had a great boom once it was put out on home video it is a true cult classic it is really just an enjoyable time and um yeah, you know, and actually I was I was thinking about something else that I learned recently that reminded me a little bit of this, that, uh, you know, this one was kind of sped up a little bit so that it would come out before The Golden Child, and it was put out on, like, July 4th weekend or whatever. And, Dan, do you know what other two movies have that type of thing in common? That they were rushed to come out. I'll give you a hint. 1996. Uh oh, just that, ten years wait, later. Hold on. Let me let me just yeah no. Let me just make sure I have. I'm thinking of the right thing. That in common that it's rushed to come out before. Yes. Two movies. Another movie that have very similar themes. Oh, is this? Oh no, never mind. That was 98. Um, I was thinking Ed TV and Truman Show. No. But, um. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that, no, no, no. That 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 was ninety eight. As was Deep Impact in Armageddon. Actually, yes. Um, Nineteen ninety six. Two movies that were very yes. similar. As soon as I say, it, you're going to be like, "Oh yeah, duh, of course." No, I know. I want to avoid that, but I also don't want to waste a lot of time. Okay, Dan. You know? What movie came out on uh, July fourth, nineteen ninety six, or oh, July fourth? In- Independence Day. Independence Day and Mars Attacks. So wait. Oh, Mars Attacks. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happened was uh, Mars Attacks, uh, you know, Roland Emmerich knew that Mars Attacks was in the works and being made and everything. So he wanted to get his alien movie out before that. So set the goal to have it come out on Independence Day and decided then that it would be called Independence Day and built the the Independence Day theme around rushing it into the theater to beat out Mars Attacks. Wow. Well, then that is the best case scenario (laughs) for that. Yeah. Which I always appreciate that Independence Day and Mars Attacks came out 
um, you know, within months of each other. I always appreciated that because I felt like it was like too, uh, it, like it's it was kind of the same theme, the same idea, but two vastly right. well, different takes. Allegedly, on it. Roland Emmerich basically said like the parody can't come out before the actual movie. <laughs> right. Yes. So it's not like he was yes. talking down about Mars Attacks, but it was basically just like that. No, it has to happen this way. Right. Yeah. No. Well, brilliant. Brilliant move. Yeah. Brilliant. And two fantastic movies. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, each in their own respect. Anyway, yeah. the, not today. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Dan, what would you do given this, you know, with all the money in the world to do something with this movie now? Granted, and I'm just going to say, everything has either been done or talked about. <laughs> Comic books, uh, you know, a card game, uh, all sorts of things. There's allegedly a sequel maybe in the works with The Rock. Uh, there's yeah. all of these things that like may be happening or have happened. Right, yeah, that sequel with uh, with Dwayne Johnson it has kind of been talked yeah. about now for what, like five, five years? Five years, yeah, more. Um, and, and I, there was a video uh, game in for the Commodore sixty four. Oh wow, damn! I'd love to get my hands on yeah. that. Uh, um, I mean, a Commodore sixty four and the oh, I wonder if it's on the game. like Commodore sixty four emulator console. I got one for Scott, our brother. Um, Ooh. I wonder if it's on that off to ask him. Wow. Okay. Uh, so first of all, I would, I, I, I would really love the opportunity. I never saw this on a big screen. Oh, uh, I mean the biggest screen I think I saw it on was the one I watched on the other night, yeah, which right. is not, not the big screen. Uh, actually, and it's funny I, when I, this movie really makes me think of college. I don't think that that wasn't the first time I saw it. I'm pretty sure I must've caught it on HBO at some point in the mid to late eighties. But we used to watch it a lot in college and uh, it was just it was a lot of fun, especially because my friend Dave knew like he had a lot of the dialogue uh -huh. memorized and we just all became like super fans. And there were certain just scenes that we just had down, you right. know, like the dialogue between Lopan and and Burton when he's like, and then go on and rule the world from the, you know. <laughs> From beyond the grave, isn't that indeed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I always I feel fondly, and that was watching it on the on a very small right uh, TV on VHS. So, but I would love to see it on a big screen in a nice like 4K transfer. Which I I honestly like. I I watched it on Blu-ray. Yeah, the effects are 80s effects, but I like it. Still, it looks fine, and yeah. I still prefer those effects to. Uh, like modern effects, because I'm an old curmudgeon. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking of uh, a couple of options that would involve, um, you know, actually being set in in China. Okay, and I I was I wasn't thinking so much like sequel. I was thinking more of either a remake or something in that world because we've got this whole mystical world and this whole backstory of david lopan being you know Dave. this like emperor who sentences him 
to, you know, live on the earth and this whole idea of the woman with green eyes. And there's all of this, there's all of this backstory and it would be interesting to see something like that and to see something set in in China. So and, I'm sorry, are you proposing a Lopan prequel where he gets cursed? I'm proposing something like like something like that or just kind of like just of filling in a lot of the um you know like a lot of the backstory you could always go for i mean look the end of the movie is set up for a sequel because that little creature is is on jack's truck yeah but kurt russell is not going to be in a sequel and at this point i don't know that i would want to see that i don't think kurt russell wants that no um like i can speak for him Right. No. And actually, it's funny because I think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Kurt Russell and I'm like, ah, you know, Brad Pitt would kind of be a funny Jack Burton, but I don't want to see Jack Burton and I don't want to see Jack Burton. I don't want like the Jason Patrick version of Keanu Reeves in Speed 2. I I don't want so I want a totally different story and I want Stephen Chow to make it because Kung Fu Hustle is a movie that I think uh-huh. is just kind of it's 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 like I don't know somehow related to Big Trouble in Little China and it has that sense that same sense of of energy that Taika Waititi brings to brought right. to like Thor Ragnarok and uh I I think that Stephen Chow and Stephen Chow being I mean he's he's from Hong Kong originally uh-huh. uh but you know being of Asian descent and totally, you know, and, and by, and the guy can do a a film that's not in English and it could be relatively successful because Kung Fu Hustle was fairly successful. It received a good release. I saw it in the theater in the U S and it's one of my favorite. It's definitely one of my favorite movies of the last like 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would love to see Stephen Chow, remake it or like remake it or make a some type of other addition to to the story and it doesn't have to do any it doesn't have to have anything to do with jack burton because he's the sidekick in this yeah so like what about like egg chen is a young man like what about a sure. young egg chen encountering the storms and encountering lopan so like maybe a lopan prequel maybe an egg chen prequel like yeah e- egg is I- an awesome character He's fun. Yeah. And it's like you get a glimpse into his life and it's like, oh, this there's this guy's got a lot of stuff going on. We know that he owns like the entire block where everything is. He does magic. He he literally does magic. magic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where I would go with it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm sure at some point someone has turned this into some type of like fringe festival musical. And I definitely thought about that where like all the exposition could be songs. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, and so that's, Dan, that's and Dan, that's where my mind went. Musical. Oh, oh, do tell. Oh, no, there's really not much to tell. Oh. It's just like, you know, looking at all this stuff, and, and I think that you and I had a lot of the same thoughts. And I definitely did think, like, are there some prequel stories to tell? And sure, there are. But like, you know, this is such an over the top, silly movie that it feels just totally ripe for a silly musical um yeah so that's all nothing i i mean 
you get really fun set pieces. You could do a lot of like really cool practical effects to like mm-hmm. build out, you know, and it's like building on the, I don't know, the 80s of it all can make it work really well. I think that I think like, yeah, you definitely have to keep some of the dialogue and in fact, turn it into song. Um, sure. Like the musical, I would love to see, just like after they drink the the potion, some like big because you need that big like that big lift up before the climactic end of a musical. Um, you know, like in Guys and Dolls, it's sit down, you rock in the boat. Right. Or, uh, that's the, the just the one example that comes to mind. But uh, like that number after they take the, you know, feel invincible potion, it, 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 that could be so much fun. Almost. Ugh. Almost got it. Focus, Dan. No, I am. I am. I am. So I, I'm totally with you on the musical idea. I, I, I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Well, uh, if, if anybody hasn't seen Big Trouble in Little China, definitely check it out. It's currently on stars if you have stars and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, and I, uh, understand the the issues that people would have had with it at the time for representation and i would hope that if it were made today it were it would be made differently and that's all i can really say about that yeah and uh by the way and speaking for uh dwayne johnson's production company his uh uh partner hiram garcia has said has gone on record saying that if they made the film yeah it would be a lot more sensitive to that, but you know, yeah, but also at least we don't have any like white actors. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Asian characters in this. Yeah. So. Well, Dan, why don't, on. why don't you tell everyone what we're doing on the next episode? Oh boy. Get ready for this. So in the next episode, we are going to be getting into 1996's multiplicity. It is Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Andy McDowell, Eugene Levy. That's right. Directed by the late, great Harold Ramis. Yeah, that's right. Excited for this one. I, as I am, as I am everyone. I'm fully with you on that. And uh, if you want to reach out to us and share your thoughts about this movie or any other ones that we talked about or even multiplicity, uh, hit us up, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. In the episode description, we've got a link to our link tree, which has all sorts of fun links, all of our social stuff. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Our our tea public store. Yeah. Uh, Lots of good stuff on there. Uh, T-shirts, masks, uh, stickers, notebooks, tote bags. You name it, it's probably there. Sweatpants? I don't think so. But wall tapestries, maybe. Ooh, sweatpants? Not yet. (laughs) I just don't know if Tea Public offers them, that's all. Oh, well, we got to do something about that. (laughs) So uh, it just says ruined across the butt. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note... Dan, as you venture off in the Porkchop Express, I wish you a good journey. (laughs) Good journey. Time to get those flies. <laughs>